Thank you, Pastor McCrory, Dr. McCrory. Appreciate that. You guys have a, a hugely talented pastor. I, 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 he impressed me when, when he was a, a little lad at 11, uh, playing the piano. I just was overwhelmed with his talent. And his mom and dad, first missionaries we took on in our first church that we started, we go back a long way as he so wonderfully said. I don't know who that guy was he was talking about half the time. But anyway, uh, thank you for letting me come. And thank you for letting me uh, present and share the Word of God with you. That is absolutely the most important thing. Uh, the second most important thing is that we're doing some really neat stuff in Latin America. I hope you hang out for the, the time after the service so I can share with you what we're doing. But now we'll get our eyes and attention set on the Word of God. We've read it already, the section of Scripture that he gave me. Uh, Tongue-in-cheek, I said uh, to my friend, uh, why didn't you give me the genealogies out of Chronicles rather than this passage? I think it may have been easier to preach. Uh, the commentators don't like this one either. So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, share with you, I'll share with you what I have studied and, 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 and I believe what lessons we can learn from this. And there are some hugely practical lessons while I was sitting there in the pew, I came up, I, I just wanted to see something. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. In 2019, 47,511 people took their lives. In 2019, there was an estimated 1.38 million suicide attempts. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, so much of what we do today and so much of our culture, and not ours alone, a lot of cultures, press so much for success. And depending on how we evaluate or, or, or define that word success, sometimes we come to the end, and this is the end of the text, and say, I hate life. Are you kidding me? I hate it. I mean, most of us could honestly say, I mean, deep down, we don't say this aloud, but deep down, or maybe we say it with our mates if we're having one of those days, but we say, I, I, I've done all this, I've invested all this, and this is, this is it? This is it? You catch the feeling that I'm talking about? Well, that's the feeling of the text of Scripture today. Your pastor's done a great job in grouping uh, the beginnings of this book into two actions, observations and instructions, and two perspectives, under the sun, S-U-N, and under the sun, S-O-N. I thought that was tremendous. I don't know, is that your, was that your own, or did you steal that? Okay, that's good. I, the confession is good for the soul, my brother, Yes. Well, that was, that was a good part to steal because it was excellent. That just, it's so, it does so establish the, 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 the book itself. And, and I'll, I'll refer to that. I'm, I'll steal it from you. Um, Solomon has given himself to view life with these two perspectives in the areas of observation chapters. That's one through four. Um, as opposed to the instruction chapters, the rest of the book. And I'm stealing from his first sermon. I hope you remember Remember to this point he's observed, and this is going down through what you've already learned. But he's observed humanity. He's observed nature. Things accomplished. Things seen. Things heard. 
the new things, though there's nothing new under the sun, right? Things great that are soon forgotten. Now he's observed the works of man and joy and pleasure and laughter, intoxicants, possessions, hired help, performers, wealth, music. All were at his command. He had position, wealth, and mental ability, but realized that under the sun, S-U-N, man cannot be satisfied. Not his eyes, not his heart, nor in his work. And in the end, we all have that common conclusion. In the flesh, if honest, we all cry out, vanity. Vanity. It's as if all one does bring, all one does brings him to a place void of purpose. I mean, is this all my life has accomplished? I, I don't know about you guys. Uh, you're sort of burbs, you know, and burbs people sort of have that desire to do more and, you know, and, and, and make the most out of the days we have. At least that's me. And, and I always wanted to get a little bit more and a little bit more and do a little bit more. And whether that's under the sun, S-U-N, or under the sun, S-O-N, that drive is there to accomplish. It's, it's part of my DNA. I imagine it's part of yours. And yet, so often, we don't get to where we want to be, no matter what it is. What, wasn't it Howard Hughes that made the statement the, the, back in the day, uh, how much is enough? And he said, a little bit more. You, you, you catch, you, you know? You catch that? And that, that's, that's where we're going with this today. Let me pray and ask God to bless because I'm going to go into some heathen stuff in a moment. And he needs to bless that uh, in spite of myself. But Father, bless please as we unfold some of the truths culturally, but most certainly biblically, that we can grab a hold of where Solomon is going with this. And, and even as there's, there's, there's great tension that's produced with this passage there's great resolve in our Lord. So help us to hang on through the tension and help us to rejoice in the resolve. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was in 1969, Peggy Lee sang a song and it ended, or the, 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 the chorus ended, Is That All There Is? I don't know, some of you are old enough to remember that and it was just so dark it it went like this I'm not going to sing it but I, it started the, it was just a narrative at first and she says I remember when I was a little girl our house caught on fire I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and raced through the burning building out onto the pavement and I stood there shivering in my pajamas and watched the whole world go up in flames and when it was all over I said to myself is that all there is to a fire? And then she goes on and talks about uh, her daddy takes her to the circus in the second uh, section of the song. And as she talks, it was the greatest show on earth. Clowns, elephants, dancing bears, beautiful ladies. They flew high over our heads, the trapeze, and, and it gave this mental picture of this child at the circus and excitement and everything. But then it, she says this, as I sat there watching, I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what, but when it was all over, I said to myself, is that all there is to the circus? 
Now that's, I, I, I never really paid much attention to the words that she was saying when I, as a teen, heard these, these sayings. But, you know, here the, it should be the ex, most exciting time in a child's life, and yet deep down in, there, in her being, is that all there is? It goes on, she falls in love, and the guy leaves her, and she says, is that all there is to love? And then her course, after every one of these, says this. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Is that all there is, my friends? Then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is. Do you realize how many young people today are taking their lives because they live under the S-U-N and have come to the very conclusions that Solomon is seeing. They've come to the place of saying, are you kidding me? Is this all there is? They go into work. They make widgets all day. They come out of work. They go home. They eat. They watch some television or they go to the bar. Or they go, uh, you're, you're neighbors of Illinois. I don't know what Illinois is thinking. But they go over to Illinois and they buy their stash, you know, and come back and smoke weed and get high and go to sleep and come back and start it all over again the next day. Is that all there is? It's almost the theme of what we're reading by these words of Solomon as he, as he paints this very dark time, I turned myself to behold wisdom, madness, folly, for what can a man do that comes after the king? Let me break down some of these phrases and some of these sections of our scripture, our text today, and, and, and perhaps make it very practical for us. I, I do believe that we would be amiss not to realize the darkness of the passage. But I also believe that we would be terribly amiss if we couldn't use the darkness of the passage for the brightness of the light in Christ. We have so much to offer. And if this passage doesn't show you the culture you're living in, can I, can I invite, if you're sitting next to your wife, uh, wife, if you have a bony elbow, nail him one real good and wake him up. Because this is the culture that we live in. This is who we are. These are the opportunities that we're given. And if you would, let's use them for his glory. What do you do with your dark times? Or what do you do when you find yourself talking to someone going through dark times? What an opportunity we have in this wicked, dark world as light shining in darkness. We ought to use our occasions very, very well for his glory. From another perspective, I think we could ask the question, and I think this is fair to talk to Christians this way, but what is the value of your life? It gets quiet, doesn't it? Because most churches today, people will come, people will give, people will bow their heads in prayer, people will sing. But when it goes to the time of walking out and taking what we have, 
they forget about the ministry elements that we can offer to a world dark and, and hopeless that hates life. Is that all there is? Well, let's do something with that. Let's make this an opportunity rather than a, a, a time of dismay and despair. This really is about the perspective of persons. How you deal with the sun. Which one you're going to live under, the S-U-N or the S-O-N. And it's really all about that. Our perspective and what we have to offer to so many that need. It seems to produce um, the dark times for Solomon as he's trying to sort out in the S-U-N perspective what life is all about. He's not looking up, he's looking out, and I wonder if his thoughts were that of his father's in Psalm 49. Do you remember Psalm 49? Let me read to you just a few passages out of it. It starts out this way, hear this all you people, give ear all you inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. Verse 6, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother. Nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their souls precious, and it ceases forever. Verse 9, that he should still live forever and not see corruption, for he seeth that wise men die. And here we go back to where Solomon is, is almost reminiscing right now. Wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the brutish person perish. They leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Can you see the, the, the way that they're trying to make something that's going to last and trying to make something that's going to satisfy? But the whole psalm smacks of the idea that nothing is going to satisfy. I like looking back at people's daddies. The honor and tribute that you gave to your dad is very good, Brian. It is, Pastor. It's very good. And, and I think that Solomon is, you know, is pulling some of the recollections from his dad as he's penning this section of Scripture under inspiration. Well, if we look at it this way, there's a couple things I'd like to share with you. From our text, we can see the investigation of this idea of wisdom and it's going to go in direct contrast to mad folly. We'll look at madness, we'll look at folly, but it's mad folly. And, and, and we'll see how that works. And then we'll go on and we'll talk about the one coming after the king. I think it's an interesting section. One that has a lot of debate associated with it. We'll straighten it out today, okay? But anyway, there's an investigation of wisdom. And this is the idea of the capacity to understand and so have skill in living. It's on the human plane. It's not necessarily the wisdom that he would write about back in Proverbs where it talks about more of that divine or spiritual element in it. This is purely human wisdom. It's that idea of skill and living. The, the art of being successful, of forming the correct plan to gain the desired results. It's possessing technical skills. And the one word that maybe might sum this up would be prudence. So he's talking about this quality of life. And he pits it right against mad folly. This idea of, 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 of not exercising 
wisdom. Madness, it's the extreme lack of understanding or wisdom or insanity. Isn't that what they say, doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results? It's insanity. Well, how often do we, honestly, do we do that? But we don't acknowledge it because we don't want to come to that conclusion. We think if we do it just one more time, we'll find what we're looking for or it will work itself out and it's not going to. It can't. Folly is the idea of the lack of prudence, wisdom, insight. So this mad folly, they're very close together in their definition. A guy by the name of Dean writes this as he uh, addresses this section of of, uh, Ecclesiastes. He says this. He views uh, sagacity, uh, having foresight or discernment, up against stupidity. Sagacity versus stupidity. How many of you have used sagacity in a sentence in the last five decades? I know, I hadn't either. I had to look up what the word meant. But he wanted an S word so that he could, you know, this is the way the guys are. But anyway, this idea of sagacity means having foreseen. It's discernment, keen perception. It's the ability to make good judgments. One might then liken it to prudence. It's contrasted to stupidity. And this is really where Solomon is going. Wisdom that looks, examines, sees the evil coming, has the, the uh, uh, wherewithal uh, to, to, to bridle it in and make good, uh, right decisions. Make, does that make sense? And now he puts it over against stupidity. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever in your whole life done anything that you look back and say, well, that was stupid. (laughs) I never have done that. (laughs) Like every day, you know what I mean? I tell tell our people where I I pastor, where I help my, well, when I was in full time and now where I'm doing this stuff. But I, I say this, do you know something, folks? You and I were one decision away from stupid. Isn't it true? I'm not trying to insult you. I'm not. Not at all. But we're just one decision away from stupid. And don't you hate it when that happens? I mean, here it goes again. Anyway, it's the idea of the way we think. How often we want our way over his way. Does that make sense? It's called sin. And that's clearly revealed in the word. Sin is trespassing the commandments of God. He shows this in contrast. Wisdom is better than folly. Light is better than darkness. Having eyes in your head, I don't know where else he'd put them, but that's what he says. Having eyes in your head and using them versus walking in darkness. A lot of times in our travels, we stay in motels. And that's, that's very nice. And, and, and it's very nice when we stay in people's homes and as we present our ministry. But we've gotten to the place where we pack night lights. Do you know why we pack night lights? Because it's the pits getting up in the middle of the night and not knowing where you are and which way you're going. It's terrible. Especially when you're an older man. You can fill in the blanks there. We use night lights so we can see and find our path. And Solomon is saying, you know, this... He's observing people, he's observing nature, he's giving this report and he's saying, man, there's so many people walking around blind. 
in the dark. Folks, let's use that. We ought to read this and say, hallelujah. Look at the opportunity I get. I can shine some light. I'm almost ready to go full time in doing what we're doing uh, for the Lord. Um, I, I'm in a transition. And um, tomorrow I get to go into work. I work in a place that makes things that blow up. And I do quality. But I'll go into work tomorrow and um, uh, I'll, I'll see people and they'll tell me all of their great, or great events of the weekend. It always starts that way. Monday mornings, what did you do this weekend? And, and half of them are going to tell me about the dumbest things in the whole wide world. They're going to give me a list of stupid. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know, they're just going to give me this whole list of stupid. And I'm going to sit there and I'm just going to shake my head and they're going to laugh at me. And say, well, what did you do? You go to church? Yeah, actually I did. My head doesn't hurt like yours does, you moron. Anyway, I did not say that. Erase that. That should not be on the video. It's darkness, folks. I've been there. I've done it. I didn't get saved until I was 24. I've been there. I've walked in that nonsense. It's darkness. What opportunities we have. It really is. But here's, here's the picture of darkness, if you would. So it's the idea of to the child who thinks that they know more than their parents and teachers. That's darkness, by the way. It's the other word, too. Stupid. <laughs> Isn't it true? I mean, I, I, I went through it. You, you went through it. Come on. There, there are times we all think we know more than our authorities, right? It's true. How about, how about the sinner who thinks that they know more than God? Does that get a little closer to home for all of us? I know you never sin. I don't either. Right. Don't we wish? I, I really wish I could say that. But I can't. And every time I sin, it's an act of stupid. We need to get to the fact where we empathize with those that are groping about in the darkness. They don't know what they're doing. The couple were having a lot of problems in their marriage. It could be that one or the other has eyes wandering where they shouldn't be. It could be that they're just tired. and When they went into marriage, they didn't have the right counsel and right perspective of what marriage is all about, sticking through the hard times, understanding that two sinners are going to become one flesh and try to make a life together. And it's because of those kinds of things. They buy into darkness. They buy into the philosophies of living, quote-unquote, successfully under the S-U-N and get discouraged with each other. And before you know it, really doing some stupid things. I, I just was on the phone the past couple of months talking to a couple that are just making some really dumb mistakes, really, really dumb mistakes. And I know this is being, this is, I know this is going over whatever, live streaming. But they're not the only ones. 
when we as a group of people, we could call ourselves the conservative end of evangelicalism. But you know, our, our stats are as bad as the world's stats in this. There's something wrong here, folks. This is the stuff that we're, we're acting just like Ecclesiastes 2. We're acting like we're living in darkness. We're acting like we're walking around without our eyes in our head. I don't know where we put them, but they aren't there. And we're making very bad decisions. And I, and I believe that he's observing this, Solomon. He's observing this and, and he understands and then we go and we make matters worse by blaming everyone else for the problems that we have generated. They can't be told because they quote-unquote know better. And it's really the partner's fault and they can't be told. That's darkness, folks. That's darkness. What does God say? That's light. Solomon sees this walk in both worldly wisdom and unfortunately in spiritual People who are living in darkness by choice. And both have the same ends. I can't help but think how Solomon would earlier write, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the light. That's where people ought to be. That's what people ought to be doing. Well, most certainly there are areas to investigate just because of the words that are being used. But there's a position to know wisdom also. And think about this with me. Here's Solomon. He's the king. He has this tremendous amount of wisdom. He has wealth beyond, beyond belief. I'm probably one of the most wealthy, if not the most wealthy man in the face of the earth. I, I, I don't know what that's like. Um, worldly wisdom causes him to fail. Now Solomon writes scripture. It's not like he is absent from spiritual influence and spiritual knowledge. Good night. He writes Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. God will use this man. He was brilliant. And yet, in his own life, as he chooses not to walk in right relationship to God, he comes up with some real failures. I can think of at least two. And perhaps these failures are influencing the way that he is writing right now. It's this way. The two areas that are the most outstanding were his marriages and his son. And both of them were a terrible thorn and a terrible shame to his life and to his ministry. Think about it. His wives led him astray, 1 Kings 11. It's filled with this. The troubles of Solomon's reign can be traced to the misuse of God's blessing. His success in international trade encouraged him to marry foreign wives for diplomatic reasons. And the author goes on and says this. This was taken from one of the commentaries. He loved the Lord, but he also, quote, loved many foreign women. This love for foreign women grew greater than his love for the Lord's commandment. The wives caused him to pursue idolatrous worship. The hills of Jerusalem were dotted with high places sacred to the Phoenician fertility goddesses Ashtaroth 
And uh, we would see that. You can explore that in Deuteronomy 16, 21, or Judges 3, 7, or 1 Samuel 7, 3 through 4. Or the god Molech of the Ammonites. Leviticus 21 would tell you about, 18, 21 would tell you about that. Or Chemosh of Moab, uh, Judges eleven twenty four. He opened himself up to these fertility gods and even to the place where there would be sacrifices, child sacrifices. This is the man that knew more and, and, and his dad was a, a man after God's own heart and, and, and Solomon wrote scripture and how can he do this stuff? <coughs> how does that happen? And isn't it easy to sit on this side and read this and point back there and say, what were you thinking Yeah, you guessed it. There's a hook in that worm. Because we ought to grab a hold of ourselves and say, what were you thinking? Every time we sin. This is a huge warning to Christians to walk under the S-O-N, sun. Under the sun should be our motto. It should be our mantra that we, we constantly check ourselves and see what God would have us to do. But not only were the many wives a problem to Solomon, but how about his own son? I mean, these are the things closest to a man. His wife, his son. His son Rehoboam, who would not be told. I I wonder if Solomon had this in mind when he was was writing this section. uh, In in verse uh, 17, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12. uh, chapter 2, let me get back to where I was. I turned to myself, behold, wisdom, madness, folly, for what can uh, man do that comes, that comes after the king? What can man do that comes after the, the king? That phrase, troubling to a lot of the commentators. But in my mind, I'm a simple man. What comes after the king? Well, the king's son comes after the king. I mean, that's, that sort of makes sense to me. And it makes sense to several others, too, by the way. But if you think about Solomon and he's looking at that, if this is correct, and I lean this way, I wonder, I really wonder what he's thinking about his own son, about Rambohm, with a propensity to be stubborn, with a propensity to do things his own way, maybe with a propensity of not listening to his dad. I wonder, I wonder what he thinks. Uh, Rehoboam, he wouldn't be told, 1 Kings 11. With all that Rehoboam had, he actually split the kingdom. That was nice, wasn't it? Uh, with all that he had, he, 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 it was never enough. And, and, and what's going to happen is that the wisdom of the world couldn't satisfy and, 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 and couldn't guarantee uh, passing this, this, this legacy on to Rehoboam, Solomon to Rehoboam. Uh, at one, uh, the one coming after, uh, Rehoboam at one point takes the shields of the temple. Now catch this and, and grab a hold of the implication. They no longer belong to him. They were of the temple. They belonged to God. They were gold. And he substitutes them with brass. Shines them up. They look pretty. But it's not the same thing. He robbed God. He defamed the temple. He split the kingdom. I wonder if Solomon didn't understand 
that this was the possibility of his son walking, uh, his son, S-O-N, walking under the son, S-U-N, and making these wicked and foolish choices. I mean, we can all see the weaknesses of our sons and daughters. But instead of addressing them, too often we ignore them. And we let them go. And that's a terrible, terrible shame because you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. What you plant, you reap. And we don't like that. I wonder if Solomon is bemoaning some of that as he looks at his life and sees the results of it. But then our section of strip, Scripture goes on and, and talks about how, uh, how the, all that he's going to be doing is not even going to be remembered. As I, as I thought about that, it, it, it's very interesting. Um, I, I went back to Psalm 49. You know, they named places after themselves so that they'll have perpetuity, you know, on and on. Oh, I'll be remembered. Nobody knows that. I would venture a guess that in this group... There aren't a whole lot of you that can name every president that we've had in our country. The presidents of the United States. Now, maybe a few of you can. I wonder about you. What do you do at night? <laughs> Sing songs about presidents. Okay. Most of us don't. The most powerful office in the world, we can't even remember their names, most of them. I, I mean, how quick... It, it, it forgets. I went to school. I was raised in a little town called Bangor, Pennsylvania. It was in the area they called the Slate Belt. You know, chalkboards and roof shingles and that stuff? Well, that's, that's what they did there. I went to a school that was two blocks away from my house. And in the schoolyard, they had this statue. Let me tell you how the story went. In 1848, the town of Bangor was founded by its first chief burgess, Robert M. Jones, an immigrant from Bangor, Wales. There was a statue of him in the schoolyard in the, at the Lincoln School. I was raised in that town. Do you know something, folks? I played around that statue. I climbed on that statue, which I wasn't supposed to do. I did a lot of things around that statue, saw it almost every day of my elementary school time, and, and that was like back, back door to our playground. I mean, it was like there all the time. I never knew who this guy was. I never took the time to pay any attention. And even if I saw his name, I never looked to see who he was. It just wasn't important to me. I wonder how many generations is it till we're forgotten. In all that we do, till we're forgotten. That's the picture of Solomon. That which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dies the wise man? As the fool. We're all facing it. We sang about it. We, we, we saw uh, the, the, the life clock. Isn't that what it was called? The life clock? Yeah. The life clock. That scared me. I... And then you go and say, 70-year-old, what are you thinking? <laughs> I think there's one or two of us that pass that. Anyway, I figure I'm working until I'm 85 or 90, so get a grip on it. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Anyway, 
If only to live for the things of this side, what vanity infects one's mind? We have phrases in our culture, they're idioms, maybe idioms, I don't know. You can't take it with you. Well, that's the truth, you can't. And, and, and all of this that, that is going on, and all of this that I've spent 36 minutes of talking to you about, is dark. And it's about the temporal. And it's about things that, 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 that aren't going to follow us. Because it's all about the things under the S-U-N. <laughs> Can't take it with you. What an understatement. We don't have to be like Solomon where we conclude at the end of our life, I hate life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Let's talk about the remedy for a few moments. You'll know the remedy you already have and I've already told you it's living under the S-O-N. And, and, and as much as Solomon sounds this as a warning to us, and we ought to embrace it as such. We ought to read this and say, thank you, Lord, for showing me the nonsense of living for things on this side. Thank you for showing me the brevity of life. Thank you for showing me that I can work and work and work and work and work, and I'm putting my time and my energies in the wrong place. Thank you, Lord. And then take that whole block of wisdom and shape it into something very, very profitable. I wrote this down just to remind myself, we need to lay up treasures in heaven. It's setting our affection on things that are above. It's living under the S-O-N, capital S-O-N. There surely will come a time when the rich and the poor, the wise and the fool, the spiritual and the lost will stand before him. Read 2 Corinthians 5. It's, a, it's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And it talks about standing before the judgment seat of Christ. We will do that. It's going to happen. The question is, will you be hating life? Or will you be rejoicing in the things that you've laid up for him in glory? I, I mean, you read a passage like this, and it, it, it's, like, it's like a train whistle as they're coming up to a, a, a railroad crossing. Will you listen? Will we listen? Or is it that we just go and we hear this guy take a passage of Scripture and sound the alarms and go on with life as it is? I told you I am bivocational for a while, a little while longer, not much. I've been working at this place for almost three and a half years. In the three and a half years that I've been there, two, two young gals have taken their own life. This is a company about 800 people maybe. I work around them. Doing what I do, I work around almost everybody in the company because I move around in, in, my, in the scope of my job. Two young gals taking their life. They have the world ahead of them. One of them was a mom of two kids. Divorce gal. Life was dark. Vanity of vanities. And rather than look to something that would satisfy, she chose to take her own life. They chose to take their own lives. Do you think it's far from the Christian community? Do you think it's far from your neighbor's daughter, your neighbor's son, your neighbor? 
Over a million attempts of suicide in 2019? Are you kidding me? And do you think it's getting any better? The pressures, the cultural pressures that we're under, the political pressures that we're under, I don't know about you guys, maybe you don't even watch the news, praise the Lord if you don't. You better. Uh, But it's pressure. All the time it's pressure. That's living in this world. Things that are under the sun. If we live that way, S-O-N, we have the hope and the opportunity of hearing well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now let me tie this up with two questions. The first question is real simple. Are the things in the trinkets of this world really satisfying you? I mean, it's a fair question to ask Christians. It is, it truly is. Because we live after the things of this world and the trinkets of this world. There are some things that I would like to have. I'm, I'm sure that I'm not the only one in here. Is there anyone that doesn't want anything else in the whole wide world? You have everything you ever wanted. Please raise your hand. I want to, I want to meet you after the service. I have never met a person like that. We all want a little bit more. Well, let's keep it at the right place. And let's keep it at the right priority. And let's, you know, let's look at it in eternity's values. Here's my second question. And one leads right into the other. They're both basically rhetorical. But wouldn't you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. When you stand before him, when the life clock ticks its last annoying sentence. Tick tock. Isn't don't you want to hear that from the Lord? Well, this this passage screams a warning to you. On the one side, chasing after things, it's vanity. I hate life. It's never enough. On the other side, I love life. There's great opportunity. And I can use those opportunities. To lay up treasures in heaven for him. Now, which one do you want? I mean, which one do you really want? Don't, don't, don't yes yourself to death and go out of here and do nothing. We'll pray in a moment. And when we do, I'm going to ask God to hear our decision to these questions. Because it's really a decision of serving him or serving the world, the things, the temporal. Eternity temporal which one do you want father please bless us solomon has given us some real food for thought and that's an understatement he sobered us he he like others before him have been so pressed out of measure paul writes about that in in second corinthians one that that even of life he was very weary and 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 so often david would allude to this in the psalms And here again, Solomon, having all of these things of the world, finds it empty. Help us to learn from that. Help us to hang on to things on this side quite loosely. Help us to invest on things for the other side quite well and diligently. Lord, you're kind to give us a preview we would be very foolish to ignore it.
So find us faithful. Each one of us in here that have heard the word, have read the word today, see how this very wise and wealthy man concludes things lived for on this side leave us yelling vanity. I hate life. Father, help us not to be there. Help us to love life and every opportunity it affords us. Help us to love life, knowing that using it on this side prepares us for the next. Help us to love life as we offer it to you day by day, being satisfied with what you give us, and being excited that we can use the opportunities that you afford us. So find us faithful. We'll pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.